This is episode 60 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 60 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. The current date is April 3rd, and the world sure has become a different place. And I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach on this intro before we get to today's guest. Um, Firstly, I wanted to ask for your help to spread some reason around the community. Uh, If we take a look at the nature of what's been going on of this virus that's uh, that's going on, um, the current information we have suggests that this is this is going to be around for the long haul. There is no more containing it. It is out. Any sort of measure that we do to flatten the curve uh, will likely just be reversed once we resume uh, regular operations. Now, I would love for somebody to uh, to correct me if I'm wrong here. I'd love to hear the other side of this. That's the whole point. But what we really do need to do is we need to start challenging what we're hearing from our politicians because so far to me, I've heard no real plan to resume society. And the challenge with that is we don't really have the greatest economic situation at the moment in terms of the amount of debt we have. There are a lot of small business owners that really don't have the ability to go without being paid for more than a couple of months at a time. So there's so many businesses out there that I really care about. And I know you would too. Uh, food places that we like to go to, uh, you know, a, a vegan cupcake place that we like to go to. And these are important. They're part of our culture. They're part of what makes Canada so great. And what's happening right now with the constant printing of money in our economy is they're basically watering down the pool. We've got less production. So if you think about economics, supply and demand, we've got less production of goods right now because everybody's staying at home and we have more money circulating in the system because governments are printing cash. Ultimately, what that's going to do is create inflation. It's going to make it harder to buy things with the dollars that we have. And of course, create a certain sense of entitlement to the people who are getting paid to not work. Uh, Not that that's the biggest concern. What we really need is we need people out there creating value. So I challenge you to challenge those around you to think more about what makes sense and what doesn't. In my mind, we need a productive decision to be made that's going to allow people to get back to work, get back to be being productive. Uh, we have the ability to take extensive action. I, in my opinion, and this is just an idea that I have that I think could work, is uh, knowing that this is probably going to become our common flu, which seems like it, it's trending that way. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, I'd love to be wrong. Knowing that it's part of our society going forward, we now need to find a way to be working towards dealing with it. So we should have factories opening up and retooling to produce ventilators, beds. We should be building temporary hospitals. We should be training military-style medics that can treat this virus. This is just an idea I have, but I think it would work. And I'd love to hear your thoughts too. But what we need to do is we need to be communicating these ideas to our local MPs, our local politicians to start making a difference. We cannot sit idly by. This is supposed to be a government for the people by the people. And so far, it's a bunch of people waiting for the government to solve the problem, which just doesn't work. And I've got to tell you, Canada is a free country. I've always been proud to live here. I unfortunately had to go to the States this past week. And when I returned to Canada, I've never felt more like my freedoms were abused and taken away from me. We have a property that we like to go to owned by my mother-in-law. It's just a field, a hundred acres where we like to take our dog for a walk. We were told that we were not allowed to leave our house and we would be fined up to a million dollars or thrown in jail for up to three years if we were caught leaving our home. And unfortunately, that's a freedom that is just not acceptable to give up. Uh, that is not a solution. We would not be hurting anybody. 
so far, I've just witnessed more and more of our freedoms being taken away. And it's up to us as citizens of our country and our American friends alike to stand up to this and force governments to have a plan to resume activity. And I know that's that's hard, but we have to realize that this is war. It's not a war on a foreign battlefield. This is a war right in our own countries uh, that's challenging us. It's a war on a virus. It's a war on uh, an inefficient government. And, and not to get political here, it doesn't really matter which leader you support. They are accountable to us and we are accountable to them to provide and push uh, with solutions. I know that's not what you're uh, you're probably expecting from me now, but uh, this is a, a concerned citizen uh, who does have an audience and I want to speak to you and I want to share with you my concerns because the reason I got into real estate investing is for the economics, for the reasons I thought it was such a great thing and the ways that it helps both Canadians and Americans alike to, to create wealth so that we have something to retire on. And if we want to protect that dream, if we want to protect our economy and our currency, uh, we need to make a change. We need to hold our governments accountable to make a change. And so far, it seems like they're just more and more intent on locking us down more and more as a very gradual procedure, uh, which is really textbook for implementing changes. They do it slowly so that we resist less. And I hate seeing it happen. I'm not, I'm not on board with it, guys. And I really hope you aren't either. I want to see us return to a prosperous society, one that we can all be proud of. So uh, please spend some time thinking, challenge others around you to think about this and not just parrot what you're hearing from the media. The whole stay at home thing doesn't work. Sure, we can stay at home for a, for a brief period of time if there is a very specific action plan and outcome and end date, but currently there is not. So be very careful with that. And guys, make sure that you're not ever willing to give up a freedom. Uh, it's a slippery slope and it's not one we can afford to go down. Okay, so now after that, let's get into today's episode. We have Quentin D'Souza on on the show. Quentin is an exceptional real estate investor out of the Durham region of Ontario, which is east of Toronto. He's actually the very first one that I've had on the show from east of Toronto, and uh, sure, I'm glad I got uh, the big fish. So uh, Quentin started the Durham REI meetup group. He is worth several million dollars and uh, counting, and he's done an exceptional job. He has an exceptional following, and when this guy talks, people listen. I have copies of his books here. So we've got uh, The Ultimate Wealth Strategy. We have The Filling Vacancies Toolbox and The Property Management Toolbox. I haven't read any of those yet, but I will be getting to that eventually. Uh, Quentin's a wealth of knowledge. And if you haven't heard of him, uh, now's the time to look him up. Quick note about rent for April 1st. As I suspected, things did go relatively smoothly for me. I only had one tenant out of about 30 that pay me, uh, not pay. And it looks like we'll be getting that money coming in and about a week's time. Overall, I feel that my strategy of, of not reaching out ahead of time and giving the idea of, of non-payment of rent out uh, was the better move for me. Everyone has their own solution. I don't think there's one right one. You really just have to take take the approach that makes sense for you. And fortunately, this one worked out. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into today's discussion with Quentin D'Souza. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Quentin D'Souza on the show. You might recognize that name from the Durham REI, but uh, Quentin, thanks for making the very long drive from the east end of Toronto. Yeah, I, I thought you were closer. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize <laughs> You it. might not have committed to this if you realized just how far it would be. Well, I'm glad you made the the, uh, the long trek down. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with you already, Quentin, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, okay. So I uh, 
I'm out in the Durham region, uh, so I, I focus investing out uh, from Pickering all the way up to Northumberland, so to, to Coburg. Um, I've been investing for 15 years. I've gone through, uh, you know, correction. I've uh, been able to uh, withstand that and, and continue uh, investing. I'm a, a full-time investor since 2014. Um, you know, I have a master's in education. I was... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, a teacher beforehand, and I, uh, I left teaching at uh, about 40, mm-hmm. and I uh, haven't looked back since, and, you know, got rid of the golden handcuffs, and, yeah. and you know, just continued to uh, to do what I'm doing now full-time, and uh, um, run the Durham Real Estate Investor Club, and, and do some uh, coaching as well. Nice. So, yeah, you, and I had interviewed you before, and I remember you said you were a high school teacher, was it? Or uh, I was. Uh, I taught uh, elementary school as well as uh, uh, early high school, and I, at, by the end, I was a consultant. I worked at the board level. I was working with uh, educators, uh, uh, creating curriculum as well, um, and um, you know, had a lot of uh, fun there. Uh, yeah. So at the at the board level, it was neat, and I was going towards I my principal qualifications, so I was going towards that. Right, just wasn't the direction I wanted to to end up being in. So yeah, yeah, you really switched gears. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you said you you started at forty being full time, or you started yeah. investing at forty? No, oh, no, 40. I started investing. Uh, I guess that would so fifteen years ago. Fifteen years ago, you started yeah. investing. 2005 okay. and then you became full-time uh what, what year was that put six years ago so 2014 yeah. okay yeah and uh for context like what does your portfolio look like right now uh the portfolio is uh, uh some single families from when i got started uh duplex conversions up to uh, 12 unit buildings so and okay. everything in between Okay. Um, so we're uh, approaching 25 million in assets. 25 million. Okay. Yeah. So that's a that's a pretty solid portfolio. Are you mostly uh, doing that on your own, or do you have a partner in there with you? No, we have partners on a, a lot of different projects. Uh, I've been well wrote the book on <laughs> on uh, buy, fix, refinance, rent, and you know often called the yeah. the Burr strategy. But uh, I, I yeah. uh, been doing that for a long time. And, um, so that's been the, the main strategy I've flipped. I flipped a dozen houses in a year. I've done rent homes. I've done some wholesaling. I've done a bunch of different stuff. Uh, now I'm focused on, um, small apartment buildings. We're buying, uh, between six and 20 unit apartment buildings, um, doing the same thing as we used to do on the smaller, uh, one, two, three, four units, uh, Mm -hmm. but doing it on the buildings and it takes a little bit longer, but the strategy is the same. Okay, and we're gonna dig right into that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to I want to specifically focus on the Maltese. Right. But uh, before we do that, so so Quentin uh, passed me three books here that he is the author of, and uh, so I've I've already um, talked about the Ultimate Wealth Strategy. So for those who haven't watched episode, I believe it's twenty nine with Jeff Woods, uh, co-authored this book with you. Yeah. And uh, then you've got two others. You've got the Property Manager uh, Property Management Toolbox. Uh, a guide, sorry, a how-to guide for Ontario real estate investors and landlords. So I'll hold that one up here and I'll put those in the show notes. And then 
the Filling Vacancies Toolbox, a step-by-step guide for Ontario real estate investors and landlords for renting out residential real estate. So, um, yeah, you've been busy. Are these recent? or No, I've had them for a, a while, actually, 2014, uh, 2015. Yeah. But they, the thing is, I running the Durham Real Estate Investor Club, I had a lot of questions around property management and filling vacancies. Mm -hmm. And so like, um, instead of answering all those questions all the time repetitively, you know, it was easier to have the book, um, or the books to help them to, to, to manage properties themselves, as well as, uh, you know, when I originally wrote it, it was supposed to be for my wife to like, if something were to happen to me, this is what you can do to to manage the properties if you choose to 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 do the management uh, side of things okay. and so that was the the you know the essence of of, of uh, writing those the property management and the filling vacancies book um now there's i get like i get comments all the time about those books uh, just like being practical and and from a self-management perspective it, i don't recommend self-management for everybody but mm-hmm. it's a, a good to understand and at least for your first property at least go through the process so you get yeah. a good understanding of it because otherwise you won't be able to you know give feedback to a property manager mm-hmm. who who is working for you right such a good discussion. And I actually just gave a presentation on this the other night saying, you know, pros and cons, self-manage versus manage. When when you have a management company in place, you're not directly in control. Right. And if you don't understand it, if you don't understand what your property management management company is doing, then you're not able to react. And I actually have been in a situation where I was fired by a property management company. Like they yeah. fired me as a client yeah. and I didn't even have my tenants names. I didn't, I, you know, I had spotty leases. I usually had those for financing purposes, but I didn't have their names, emails and all that stuff. Fortunately, they were nice enough to give me all that stuff. But, you know, imagine things went sour with a management company and you didn't have, you know, your tenant's info. It could be really messy. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. There's so many things. So I kind of equate it just like renovations. Like when you're doing renovations, it's not like you need to know how to tape drywall, but you kind of need to know roughly how it's done. Like you don't need to do it yourself. Yeah. But if you understand all the pieces that go into renovating a house then you could technically general contract it yourself yeah and i I mean also there's like um there's an evolution to the process to things right when you start off you may have one property and 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 manage that and and you know it's okay Mm -hmm. but you start to get to a scale where you know um you're creating a business and you're you know you need to outsource a part of it so that you can continue to do something else and then eventually you know you may bring property management back in house so like when we get to the scale that we're working at you know we're looking at or we have property management Mm in-house which is a a different type of scale and everybody evolves in different ways and and the thing is too is, is that um the challenge a lot of people have is like where they so when you when you when you started to what was your first job my first job i uh well, when I was 14 years old, I, I guess I had little things for my mom. I had a home business when I was like 10, 12. Yeah. But you mean my first like official go to work and sure, have sure. a pay, pay yeah. card? Yeah. Um, that would be like 14 years old. Yeah. And what would like, like dishwashing, dishwashing. Yeah. So when I was, I did the same thing. Like, I, I mean, I had uh, landscaping businesses, but I, I was a dishwasher and I made like $5 an hour or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. At this old Greek restaurant was, it was a lot of fun, but, but like what happens is you get into a mindset when you when you get started with an, an hourly type of, of mm-hmm. wage right 
And um, it, there, there are two different types of economies. There's the economy that's an hourly economy where, you know, everybody kind of, uh, a lot of people start mm -hmm. in where they are right now. And then there's the, like, um, results-based economy, which is where you, you, it's based on what you do and your successes. Yeah. And, and that's where real estate can be for people, but where a lot of people are and where they start from is this hourly, you know, mindset. And it's hard for them to bridge from getting to the results-based from the hourly-based. And, um, and that's what I find the challenges when it comes to property management or, you know, renovations or all of that. Like mm. they're, they're stuck in the, you know, like, okay, it would cost me $10 an hour to do this, you know, and I'll, and I'll get it done that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, it, you can, you know, um, you always want to be on those tasks that are your, your most successful. And, and this is an evolution of thought for me too, like moving from, you know, making $20 or $50 an hour to like a hundred or thousand dollar an hour tasks, like finding joint venture partners, right? Uh, finding new projects. Those are the big tasks that, you know, really can generate a lot, but it's even more than that. It's moving past that hourly mm -hmm. thought and going into the results base. What does it mean to have a, a new little business, which is my apartment building and, and how, what kind of results can I get yeah. from that? And, and it's not an hourly thing. It, it's almost like a, a net worth changing thing oh yeah it's absolutely. like a, a life-changing thing for a lot of people if you can do multiple of those right yeah and um you know and, and you look at where where a lot of people are in the, the scope of investment properties most people never get to more than like three investment properties and that's fine that, mm -hmm. that's part of where they are like 80 percent of the real estate investors will you, you do a survey you have your event coming up tonight right yeah you do your survey i would say that 80 percent of the room will have one to three properties that'll be it and mm -hmm. then you'll have the 20 percent of the room that have the same amount of properties as all of the 80 yeah. percent combined as one person Okay. And then that, and, and that's, that's just the way it works. But then you, that person is creating a business, right? And they've gone from that hourly wage yeah. thought pattern to the, you know, this is the results based thought pattern. And there are always going to be people like that. And you want to be around people like that in your life yeah. and in, you know, in the room that you're in, right? So funny that you say that because. It doesn't really matter what number people put in front of an hour <laughs> for my time. It never feels like enough. I'm like, no, it just feels dirty. <laughs> I don't <laughs> yeah. feel right about that. Yeah. I don't feel right about it. You know, I, I want to be paid based on results. I like the quote and I don't remember who it might be Robert Kiyosaki, but uh, work for free, get paid for nothing. So I'd, I'd rather work to build assets and get, you know, get paid absolutely nothing while I'm doing it and then enjoy the benefits of that for the rest of my life than I would work to get a paycheck. Yeah. And probably so much so that I, it's to my detriment sometimes because like I won't really do do much like in the way of like trying to create active income sometimes. I was just like, no, I want to renovate my own projects, do burrs. But, you know, you have to keep a certain amount for mortgage qualifications and, you know, all this fun stuff. So actually, I, I brought an interesting graph on that. Yeah. Now, I don't know how we're going to do this, but it's it's the uh, hockey stick dry diagram. Have you ever seen have you ever seen that? Let me see if I can put that up there. Yeah, here, yeah. I'll hold it up in front of this. Yeah. I can, uh, so, I can certainly, uh, while yeah. you speak, I'll do it. So, so they yeah. So actually like I, I put a bunch of these, like some of my graphs over at uh, Durham REI on the blog yeah. there, so you can see it. So what happens, and yeah. I, I learned this from a really great real estate investor, uh, friend of mine. Uh, and, um, you know, basically 
a lot of people when they're building their portfolio of properties, they you know in the first they they let's say they do the buy fix refinance yeah. rent or, or burr right and um, they get that initial lift and they get the charge and then you know a year or two later or, or two or three years later maybe they've got you know forty or fifty thousand dollars in equity in the right. property and they're like well what do I do you know I'm gonna take that equity and I'm just gonna sell the property and I'm gonna hold it right because they they're scared and so they end up selling at the base of the hockey stick so they oh, they never okay. really get past that the you know where the big growth happens in their asset base yeah. right and mm-hmm. they, they end up selling it really early and then they always end up in that one to yeah. three kind of you know uh, area they don't allow themselves to grow far enough yeah, yeah that's right so they've taken the money off the table already and you know not looking at the bigger picture I remember watching one of the properties I bought in 2011. I bought, I closed the start of 2012 and I had these two properties that I bought and, you know, in 2011, start of 2012. And they were both like, they just didn't move in price. Like over, I was looking at them in 2015, they were still worth the same. And I was like, why hasn't it gone up at all? Like it was London. So nothing was really growing in London at that time. Right. And then finally, just like that hockey curve, everything exploded. And my property I bought for 187.5. And it ended up recently, well, I got it appraised about a year and a half ago for three, 315. And, uh, but, but if I appraised it now, it'd probably be worth, uh, you know, maybe even 390. And it's funny because for the first three years I owned it, it, it barely moved at all. In fact, if I had sold it, I probably would have broke even after paying the, the legal fees. Right. But, uh, then it just exploded. You know, you never know when the market, will change and you'll get that that astronomical growth which we're in right now like we're in we're sort of in the housing crisis i don't think people are calling it that but i'm calling it that yeah we're we're seeing it across ontario right now for sure you know and and the thing is too in in the gta in particular if you're if you're looking at you know what's happened um every 10 to 12 years we've been getting a doubling of the asset value Mm -hmm. right so it it continues to increase you know every 10 to 12 years and it's been doing that since 1970 right so if you look at it if you take take it and bring it back now it doesn't happen in all markets and it doesn't happen the same way so you have to be very careful about where you're placing your investments and and um, you know i think what's happening now like cap rates are compressing like you know when you're looking at apartment buildings in toronto Toronto, people are buying cap rates of like two to three percent. Oh, absolutely! Like it's it's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. But the 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 thing is though, like when I'm looking at the the buildings that I'm looking at, I'm I'm looking at like maybe a four and a half cap, but we're bringing it up to a six. Yeah, and and it really is through the um, and but we're still in the the greater yeah. Toronto area while doing it now. Sometimes you see people out in the tertiary markets getting higher cap rates. Right. The challenge is that everything is in a cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So at that time in the cycle in London, you were at the down part, the slump of the mm-hmm. cycle. Now, what happens, it, it always comes back. It's always a cycle. Mm-hmm. And those cap rates will, will snap back. So those ones yeah. who were so like now in the tertiary markets yeah. that were, that are, you know, compressed now because of the lack of supply we're yeah. talking about, they're going to be the first ones to snap back to the higher cap rate later on. Yeah. So you got to be careful. Well, those markets that are artificially propped up for sure. Uh, you know, there's so many markets that are just propped up because they're bedrooms to Toronto and, or even they're not bedrooms, but people just can't afford Toronto. So they move out. Right. But 
I, it feels to me like this one's different, and maybe people have said that before. I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying we won't see corrections, and I fundamentally, as an investor, will never buy something without without cash flow because I know in a correction, if I go underwater, so to speak, the only way I'm going to be content and sleeping at night is if I know I'm cash flowing on that asset. Right? Right. It can be underwater, but if I'm cash flowing, it will come back. Yeah, and that, yeah. and that's the point of being able to hold something over the long yeah. term. And what's happening though is 46 percent of the condos in downtown Toronto are negative cash flow. Oh right? yeah. So what that's happens? Insane. Right. So it's it's crazy. the 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 other thing, and I wanted to share this with you, is like I, I wanted like the. F- I wanted to share the four kind of horsemen of the real estate apocalypse kind okay. of, kind of talk about yeah. as, as a, as a, as a, as a topic, like the first one, and it's for people to kind of think about over the next 12 months, what are you thinking, you know, could really affect the market. Now, one it was we're not talking about it anymore, and that's usually when you should be talking about it is inflation. Mm-hmm. I, I, have you heard? I like inflation has been like it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's that's, your friend. <laughs> yeah, that's the time. Yeah, to start talking about it again. Yeah. So I think that you know, if in the next twelve months we see a real sharp inflationary push, mm-hmm. which is very possible, you know, we have yeah. like containers and containers of Chinese goods not leaving China anymore. We have mm-hmm. like you know all those goods that were going from China to uh, like Vietnam and the Philippines not going there anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know there are lots of different things that can happen. So that's one thing to just keep an eye f- uh, out for. Um, the second one is um, um, is you know pretty straightforward. It's a recession, right? Yeah. Now a recession, um, if you think about it, uh, if you go back to all the different recessions we've seen, and we've mm-hmm. looked at the housing market, a recession doesn't mean that house prices are going to go down. Actually, yeah. in fifty percent of the time, house prices house prices have actually gone up during a recession. Yeah. Right. So it's not, it's not always the factor, but it's an important one to keep in mind when you're thinking about the housing market over the next 12 months. The, um, the, uh, third one is really, um, the one that we have some control over, but not really. And that's governmental changes. Mm-hmm. You know, the impact of governmental changes can be, um, you know, crazy immigration being a big one. Well, yeah, uh, for sure that, and we have a hundred thousand people coming in to, and that's perfect for us for, for housing markets. But I'm, I'm also talking about like, um, like let's say we change the way that we tax capital gains. Yeah. Okay. Let's say we decide that from provincially that we're not, we're going to, uh, keep rent control between tenancies, which, which happened in New York. Right. And, and we, and in New York, where they've closed the loopholes, you've seen like a 20 to 40% reduction in prices okay. with the, with keeping that uh, on the rent controlled properties. Right. Yeah. Where, where it, you know, there was a couple of loopholes before now they're not there. Right. I didn't know that. And, yeah. And, and so like, like this is one of those big risks and it's, you know, governmental risk. So that's my third horseman. Of big the risk there. Yeah. I mean, we could get into that chat, but I mean, but, yeah. I, I've seen some incredibly irresponsible stuff and, and just the change in government dynamics over the years. Uh, it, it is noticeable, but no one's really talking about it or looking at it like yeah. they should. Yeah. And that's, so yeah. that's the third one. Yeah. And, and the last one I want to say is a, a black swan event. Like we, we have, we don't know what we don't know. Right. So 
like, you know, talk about viruses, talk about, yeah. you know, uh, 9-11, talk about all the things that could happen. We, we don't know. And that, that is another thing to watch out for the next 12 months, right? So those yeah. are all of the things that, you know, could happen, would happen. Um, and, and as a real estate investor, mm-hmm. I always am telling people to be proactive, not reactive. Right. Prepare yourself so that you know you've created the mind space for being able to you know what at least go through the mental exercise if there is inflation that happens what does that mean to my real estate portfolio what does that mean for interest rates you know on on one hand though inflation is a great thing if you've got your cash flow because inflation is your friend when it comes to you've borrowed you know 80 percent of your 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 money to buy a property well that means that your loan amount is is technically going down in real dollars absolutely like i mean from a a real asset base because it is a real asset right and Mm -hmm. it's a physical asset that you you own i mean it, it inflates as well but at the same time you know if your expenses like let's use the you know downtown condo 47 yeah, everything shows up yeah right and now you're you know I, I mean i've had people come to me and, and and tell me you know hey like i need your help um i was advised to buy this property and i'm losing two thousand five hundred dollars a month uh in um because my mortgage rate and my um my mortgage and my property taxes are that much less than the actual mm-hmm. property that I've purchased. And, and some of them, their prices have just come back. So from 2017, yeah. it's just come back. Oh, yeah. Right. So, um, so that means they've been carrying that negative, you know, debt for two years. Talk about a good way to yeah. not want to buy real estate anymore. Yeah. yeah. And that's why, you know, as we're talking about having, why having cash flow is important, but, the cash flow is what keeps your real estate. The uh, appreciation is what makes you wealthy, right? Yes. And um, I like cash flow because, it, I mean, that's what allowed me to leave my position, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the real net worth accelerator comes from the appreciation of my the assets that I'm owning because I'm owning them in, in places that appreciate well over yeah. a long period of time. Th- like I, I back tested to 1970. Why don't you dig into that? I mean, yeah. unless you, I, I would love to talk about the economics of your area because sure. I've had people begging me to get somebody from uh, the Durham region on this podcast and no one wants to drive over here. Well, ditto. I don't want to drive over there. Yeah. 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 Well, you know what? If I would have known how far it was, but like, uh, no, I'm happy to do that. I, and I think, I think the challenge is that there's a lot of misconceptions still in Toronto about the, like, um, the workforce in Oshawa and in the Durham region. Uh, it's often still thought of as, uh, uh, like a automaker place yeah and um you know back in the 19 let's say 1980s we would have had um maybe 20 20,000 people who are part of the uh, you know gm actually mm-hmm. i think it was a lot higher than that but if you look at it proportionally today it's less than 5,000 people right with still the unemployment rate at the lowest in the gta so okay. it's and the actual they're they're not even in the I don't think they're even in the top five employers anymore in the in the region. GM, GM, yeah. Okay. Really, it's uh, OPG. Um, you know, there's okay. you, you know OPG is the biggest employer in the in the region in the area, and we have a lot of. I mean, it's 45 minutes to downtown Toronto, right? Yeah. Which is you know from Oshawa down to to downtown Toronto, and people don't measure 
in like kilometers. They really measure in how much time it takes to do something. Yeah. Right. And so that's the, that's the key when it comes to the Durham region. So there are a lot of people who live in, in, Pickering, Ajax, Whitby, Oshawa, Clarington, which is Curtis and Bowmanville, okay. and they and they work in in Toronto because the house pricing. I mean, if you if you look at it, the um, intro house pricing is a lot lower than other areas in the GTA, but it keeps increasing with along with right. the, you know Toronto area. Toronto's right? where you drop the rock in the pond, yeah. and then the ripples keep spreading. That's right. That's it. Okay, so you, you, we obviously see those those uh, ripples spreading. So you've got a couple of employers, OPG being the big one. I never like to be reliant on on one employer, right. one one industry. So that's why to me, like Calgary was uh, Calgary and Edmonton and Alberta oh, yeah. in general, they're just so dependent on on oil. And I feel that oil really um, drove their prices up, sort of artificially. Right. Like you look at Saskatchewan, of course, Alberta's got more going on than than Saskatchewan in terms of, well, they've got a lot of tourism, uh, you know, people want to ski, snowboard, you, you know, see the, the Rockies. Um, they do have other industry there, too. But I mean, I look at the GTA, we're, we have so many corporate head offices, right, right, right in the GTA. So like you said, they can drive in yeah. um, other than OPG and, and being a bedroom to Toronto. Do you see other reasons that people would want to be in Oshawa? Oh, yeah. Ton. Like a lot of uh, we are finding that a lot of people who are working in the West End of Toronto are finding uh, jobs in the East End in the Durham region now. So they're 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 shifting that way just to lower their commute time. But I mean, we have uh, a lot of ministries. We have the school boards. We have uh, like um, uh, um, the Ministry of Finance out there. Okay. We have, we've got a lot of different um, uh, employers. Still have uh, um, the auto sector, UOIT, uh, oh, yeah, UOIT. University. Yeah. Um, so and there's a lot of innovation around uh, aeronautic and uh, um, you know we've got the airport out there. So there's there's a lot of uh, different types in a broad range. And I think what's happened over the last ten years is they've got. Uh, all the region and all the towns and cities have done a good job at diversifying away from just being in the auto right. sector. So that's why we have, you know, that, that level of unemployment, but don't have the reliance as we did before. And I think that's, you know, something that, um, if you talk to, to somebody like I, today, I talked to someone in Toronto, they t- still tell me GM. <laughs> You know, well, there's the auto sector is, yeah. yeah, but it's not, it's just not what it is anymore. And you, yeah. you have to take a deeper look. And that's why, you know, the house prices have doubled, mm-hmm. you know, like when we were buying back in 2008, that the same house that we're buying for 250 um, is now selling for 550. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's this, well, when you, when you look at our immigration, the mass amount of our immigration to Canada is most likely coming to the biggest city they've heard of in Canada, which is Toronto. Right. right yeah. And if they can't land in Toronto, where do they go? They go just outside of Toronto. Yeah. So we get, we probably get the vast majority of our country's in, uh, immigration. I haven't looked up the stat, but I feel like we probably do here in Ontario. Oh yeah. I have looked up the stat actually. So there's about 220 that come to Ontario in general and mm-hmm. about a hundred and just over a hundred that stay in the GTA. Okay. And what happens is out in, in, um, in, uh, Durham, we have uh, welcome centers. So the federal government has actually set aside 
uh, welcome centers for new immigrants right. in Ajax, in Pickering, and uh, I can't remember where the other one is. But so that has a centralization of all the services yeah. that a new immigrant would need uh, right along the GO train, actually. <laughs> so it's right so, by the GO train so station. So that right there, I mean, as long as immigration doesn't change... Uh, you know, you know, you're set up in a, in a position where you should be seeing long-term appreciation in that market. Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, we, we've done well and, you know, we, uh, when I say we, it's myself and my partners, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, focusing on, uh, particularly now because, uh, it becomes more and more challenging as prices go up and rents don't keep up, uh, in order to find assets that make sense. So I typically am, uh, finding 80% of my, uh, properties off market, right. Okay. In order to be able to, to get the cash flow numbers that I'm looking for. Um, and the same with apartment buildings, you know, that's we're we're, what makes us different is that we're not just finding things off the MLS. It's, you know, the the relationships with um, realtors. It's the relationships with people on the ground, property managers. It's advertising directly to building owners. It's getting the, the word out that that's what we're doing. And so, you know, in the last few weeks, I've been getting a, a 17 unit, 21 unit, three nines, just working on these the numbers to make sure that they work. Um, because even when you're dealing directly with a building owner it doesn't mean that the deal is going to work it doesn't mean they'll be reasonable <laughs> you know like uh my uh, i have a friend of mine uh um, mark loffler and he's been on the podcast yeah, too. Mark, yeah. yeah so he he says oh yeah people will, will give me an offer and i just tell them like you know some way out offer uh you know number to buy the building and if they want it sure <laughs> right but and that's yeah. what you get from you know from people as well like some yeah uh, but it's it's you understanding the numbers that work for you and then how you can transition and reposition an asset in order to increase the value of it. Well, that's that's the name of the game, right? Like to be able to reposition it. And uh, that's funny. Like I just made an offer on a multi right before you got here. Cool. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, I asked the guy if he would if he had a number in mind, and he said, "No, I think I'll let you just make an offer." I'm like, "What? Yeah, right. hey, well, you, you can always start at one." Uh, he says, "Oh, he, as long as you know, I want a five or six cap." I'm like, well, that could mean a lot of things depending on how you calculate your cap rate. I know that I calculate a cap correctly. Like I'll build in every real expense and put in a, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing it for myself, I, I might not build in management because I have my own management team sort of, but um, that's the biggest thing. But I, I mean, just the very fact that he was willing to have that, make that comment makes me think that he's probably going to be semi-reasonable. Because right. a five or six cap is, is downright reasonable. If he said, I want a three or a four, then on a fully done building. Right. Um, like what uh, town? Hamilton. Hamilton. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's reasonable. That could, yeah. 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 That sounds like it should be reasonable. But if he's saying, oh, I don't manage, oh, I don't have a snow expense. My neighbor does it. I don't have garbage removal. You know, well, now that's, uh, that's no longer really a five or six cap. No. If that's what he's thinking. Yeah. And I mean, that's happens when you're dealing with, uh, like, you know, a single owner of a single building, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's typical for, especially if they're older and they're transitioning out of owning the building. So, you know, yeah. there's, there's some pieces to that. But I mean, I, I've got a couple of examples. Yeah. Let's, of, let's go through uh, a case study. Yeah, so like, uh, so this is an example of a, a six unit. So it was purchased in June of two thousand and seventeen for seven hundred thousand. Okay. So the annual income was uh, sixty seven thousand. Um, the annual expenses before property management was uh, twenty five thousand. Yeah. All right, and then the initial down payment, closing costs, and repairs to re 
position the asset was uh, two hundred and fifty five thousand. Okay, so you're two fifty five to renovate. Seven hundred to buy, and and, and uh, no, that includes the down payment. So the partner brought in two hundred and fifty five in total. Oh, okay. Right? So so, but was it a seven hundred purchase price? Yeah, it was a seven hundred pers- purchase. Can I, price. I'm just going to redirect you into my way of doing numbers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go just ahead. so just for consistency here. Yeah. So you purchased for seven hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was your total renovation cost? Uh, I didn't separate it out. I put ballpark it in, ballpark uh, for me. Let's see. Uh, one, I would say like ninety five. Ninety five thousand. That's not bad. What was yeah. this? Like a tenplex, sixplex, sixplex. Yeah, yeah. So ninety five thousand. Yeah. Okay, and that included paying some people to leave. Uh, yeah, we we turned over some tenants. Okay, so so you're see, I like to do a calculation. So what's my purchase in a uh, so purchase and reno cost is seven ninety five, and yeah. then did you do a refi on that? Yeah, so we refied it at uh, nine thirty five. Okay, so new value nine thirty five. Yeah, we boosted the annual income from sixty seven up to eighty six. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna make a note of that. So eighty six thousand. Yeah. Uh, income. Okay, so so nine thirty five is your appraised value, and uh, did you get what did you get seventy five percent of that? Yeah. Okay, so seventy five percent. So we're up to about uh, around seven hundred for the mortgage. Okay. So uh new mortgage is about uh seven oh one yeah. ballpark. And then I'm gonna go ahead and subtract off what you paid and it looks like you're you're about a ninety three thousand dollar net investment. Yeah ish. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's after the refi and then and it cash flows about fourteen hundred dollars a month plus the mortgage pay down on that. Okay, so fourteen hundred cash flow, which works out to be Th- that's for both of us together. Yeah, that's the total. I'm not. I'm not doing any split here. So, yeah. and then you've got appreciation. We'll just call it. Uh, um, we'll call it three percent appreciation. Sure. I like to just do kind of a ballpark. So, so you, if your new value is nine thirty five, you're going up at uh, that's twenty eight thousand dollars of appreciation a year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's believable too in that area. Sure. Yeah. Um, you could be more conservative, but I think that's reasonable. Uh, and then mortgage pay down. Do you have a number for your mortgage pay down? Uh, not off the top of my head. I'll just, you're a 25 year amortization, right? Yeah. So you're going to be around 3% on that, uh, maybe even a bit more, but I'll oh, just go. Oh, you're with. a 3%er guy. <laughs> it's just easy, all yeah, right? Yeah, okay. It's not accurate, but it's, it's, it's reasonably accurate. It's yeah. not, it's not exact. Um, okay, so, so that's 21,000. 21, yeah. And yeah, so 65,887 is one year's return. Um, if we, do a little division there your roi on that property is ridiculous and i like that it's a multi because you're just kind of uh, getting scale on your efforts yeah you're about 70 percent return on investment yeah and annually right annually yeah, but yeah. but the the thing is that that's that's one example they're not mm. all like that i typically like when i do a building i typically am telling my partners that it takes three to five years to reposition yeah. an asset i i've done it in a year like i, I, I this is that that six is an example of that yeah uh but it doesn't like um so there's i've got two other examples i'll give you one that's just recent so okay. and then you we can we can do this together so the purchase price for the it's a 12 unit we purchased okay. a, again off market uh 1.75 million Okay, one seven five, and we've uh, already raised the rents on mm-hmm. that uh, 
$2,000 a month. Okay. Right. So that's uh 24 a year. And let's say, you know, we use the, if we, if we use the CMHC cap rate method, let's yeah. say we call it 5%, although people are buying it for, yeah. we'll use 5%. That's adding about um, $500,000 in value to the property. Yeah. So right? just with what you did, 500,000, that was just by increasing rent or did you have to do some cosmetic? Rent? No, we had a, yeah, we did a little bit of renovations. We did an above guideline increase and we, you know, we work with some yeah. tenants to, to do some turnover and continue to own that. Yeah. Asset. Now this is a, this is part of a three year plan. This is we haven't yeah. even got to the first year yet, and this is so where you're we're still at. in the first year. You've already added five hundred thousand in value. Have you spent five hundred thousand? No, we've spent like I would say maybe thirty thousand. Thirty thousand uh, to create five hundred thousand in value. Yeah. That's what I love about this this game of real estate. Yeah, it's, okay. it's pretty awesome, yeah. you know, and it, it's different. Like you, you're paying, you're playing in a different ballpark here, right? Like yeah. as opposed to where uh, where you are when you're doing the two to four units, it, it is a different ballpark for sure, and the risk is different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got another example of a seven unit. We could keep going, like, but yeah. it, you get the idea. No, right? I got your idea, yeah. and, and we've got people who come on uh, and, and talk about this kind of thing. I like that it's on a larger scale. Um, so you're financing these through the commercial lending department at the banks or credit unions i actually have been this is a vtb so this oh, or you <laughs> get, get a really good vtb yeah so yeah. i got a v the 12 is a, a first yeah. vtb i've got an 11 closing in uh two weeks and it's a first vtb as well yeah so like it, it's working and talking to people and educating them and it takes time to find these deals right and, yeah and there's a risk right mm-hmm. because like i have to put money into the finding of it and then let's say i go through a phase one and there's a problem like an environmental study yeah so you're you're paying for the environmental study i'm doing it anyways yeah just because i i don't want to end up with an issue when i go to refinance right especially this one with the vtb yeah you really got to be careful and for those who don't know yeah phase one environmental is is something that a bank is going to ask for when you go to refinance and they want to know there's no contamination right yeah and so you and if you have a vtb it's not necessary to do that because you have a vtb or private financing yeah but then you go back to the bank bank has a problem now you forever got a problem property yeah and i had a friend that wanted to buy a contaminated um former uh auto mechanic shop and it needed it it had had phase three done and it said you know you need to remediate and he bought it privately private mortgage but then he couldn't do anything with it he couldn't get rid of it remediation would have cost too much so you know it just wasn't a great investment for him no yeah you have to be very careful when you're playing in this the space i mm-hmm. mean the if you thought the costs were a lot in in single family and and duplexes like this oh, could yeah. be extreme right yeah you can spend you know twenty thousand dollars before you even close that's right yeah depends like phase on the deal. one phase one phase two like you like phase two could be fifteen sixteen thousand right um mm-hmm. plus phase one of like three four thousand so that's 20 and you haven't even done like any inspections so or you're into 20 a- engineers grand. and anything and then like if you that. need remediation on top of that yeah so i mean that's the that's always the challenge yeah. right when it comes to dealing in the space but the benefit is the upside yeah. and and that's why you know when the way that i position this is if you if you can do it go and do it and that's why we have a club that's why we have yeah. education go and do it the way that i'm doing it and when i'm looking for partners is somebody who wants hands off knows and trusts me and you know we go through that that process right 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what, uh, so when you're in your experience, when you're going back to the bank, what are they asking for? Of course, they want to see a phase one or phase two clean. They want to, they want to know no, no further work required. Um, they're going to want to see, do they want to see a structural report and when do they start asking for that? Uh, if there's an issue, like, uh, I, I haven't had a, uh, a bank come back to me and ask for a structural report. Although I've always, especially if I'm dealing with an older building, I will just, call, I have an engineer that I work with and I'll get, I'll bring them out and pay them to, to have a look and give me a report. Um, you know, whether I think that there's an issue or not, especially with the building, I don't want to take yeah. a chance. So, and you're paying a couple thousand bucks for that, probably getting it done. Well, I mean, yeah. I've had a, I have a lot of good relationships with people, so it doesn't always cost me the same yeah. as everybody else. But, um, but I, I'm making sure that it's done properly and, right. you know, and, and that's the benefit of, you know, having done this for so long and having those, you know, when, when I, when I say I'm going to do something, I do it right. It's a very much a trust factor with me. Like, um, you know, I said that I'm going to come here today when I realized how far it was, I still ended up coming. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's great. No, no, I'm, I'm glad I tricked you into coming down here. Um, okay. So, so you're, you're typically getting asked for your, your environmental, and this is probably mostly when you get into that multi-million price range that they're going to start asking for this stuff consistently. Yeah. Um, I've been like, yeah, in, from the broker world, on the stuff under a million, they would usually just say an environmental questionnaire was enough. Right. But then, you know, later on, if you get into the bigger numbers, I can see them asking for it. Um, what else are they, uh, you know, what else would you want to note about that process going through the commercial refi with these multi-unit uh, buildings? What's a, what's really important? Well, the exit strategy is really important, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we're talking about going in, we always try to come up with three different ways to exit anything that we get into. And Me too. It's, yeah, it's, it's always important because yeah. um, if you can't get out of it, then you're stuck. Like that guy who got the gas station, right? Yeah. And didn't do enough due diligence. And, you know, it's always, it's always being... It's always being greedy or not doing enough due diligence that gets mm-hmm. people in trouble, right? So, or impatient. And, you know, it comes from that, the, you know, greedy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, and it's usually a combination of both of them together. But like, yeah, I think the, with regards to the apartment buildings on the refinance, it's important to try to, to get financing that makes sense for the long term. And that, and good exit would be, uh, CMHC financing. Yeah. And right. On a building. Right. So you're looking at probably a 5% fee from CMHC to do that. And they're going to add it to your mortgage. Right. But what are the benefits then? Well, it's the amortization and the term, right? And the the interest rate. rate. Yeah. So your amortization, like on an apartment building, typically when you're dealing with uh, bank financing, they're going to go like 25-year AM. Mm -hmm. Some will even go lower to 20. But like if you're going to get CMHC financing, you know, you can get 30, 35, 40-year amortization, which is incredible. Well, that could be the difference between cash flow and no cash flow. Right. And you get sub 3% you know, interest rates, interest rates, and you get, um, a term that you can pass on to the next building owner, right? Oh, like it's, okay. It's, so you can pass the CMHC insurance it's, on. It's, it's a very interesting process, yeah. right? So it's just, it becomes almost a, an asset as part of the building. So, but the challenge is getting it and then the cap rates. Yeah. Because their cap rates are not like, if you're thinking that you're going to get a cap rate, the same as what it actually know, is. It actually is not going to no. So so they say CMHC you can get eighty five percent loan to value, but it's based on their flawed calculation. So you're not really so it's it, it's not really a loan to value uh, benefit. 
Yeah. Like, would you say, even though they say it's 85%, you really just end up at 75% like you would have? It depends. You know, I have a friend of mine in, um, in Saskatchewan that has a really good relationship that, you know, you're able to work with the, with CMHC and, you know, that's possible that you could push that value up, uh, with, you know, the proper comps and, you know, kind of, sharing that but it's not it's not the regular person that can do that you know what uh i don't want to say that that it is what it is because it's not you know you you get what you are willing to negotiate and how how far you're willing to push back and what you're willing to do you know uh, i don't i don't know how many times i've been told that i can't do something only to be able to do it yeah yeah no that's true like that's that's the key is when you're told that you can't that you persist did uh have you done one like start to finish with cmhc no, no, yeah. that, that, that's the that's the key, right? The the we've refinanced out of the um, the uh, the lenders that we were in into bank lending, yeah, uh, but not into the CMHC product. Yeah, it's all based on the you know the final component of it. I, I know I've heard brokers say they just really don't like going down that road because it takes forever and and there's all kinds of red tape and yeah. it just becomes such a hassle that they don't you know they don't even want to deal with that. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I'm looking for for people who have done it, and I think you know. Oh, there's there's probably a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We've, I had a, a gentleman, uh, uh, Michael Dominguez, and, and uh, him with uh, a couple of others uh, together did it on a nineplex, and they yeah. actually did a presentation. We reported on it, it. At, at on doing it. Nice. And I mean, having gone through it and everything, you know, the the positives and negatives of it, and you know, really, it comes down to what you're with, mm-hmm. willing to withstand in order to to get that done well it's one heck of a a treat once you got it because a 40-year amortization and a lower interest rate now all of a sudden something that might not have had any cash flow at all could have an abundance of it yeah that's right and it makes sense for an uh, apartment building right so we're in the process of doing that right now on a uh on a seven unit so it'll be interesting to see how that you know pans out but again it's a long process that takes time yeah what are you figuring like if if you were to give somebody advice on how much time to budget what would you say like eight eight nine months eight nine months yeah Yeah. i was gonna say a year yeah Yeah, but yeah okay so a long time commercial financing to begin with takes forever yeah. There's just so many, there's so much wait time, lag back and forth. Oh, just get us this, this, and this, and then we'll review it. And I just, when I was brokering them, I would find that, you know, start to finish, I'd be into like four months and I'm like, oh my, yeah, <laughs> it just goes on. It's not reasonable yeah. to, you know, some of the financing requirements that, uh, you know, if you're trying to get a deal done in 30 days, like you let's say, oh, you yeah, the 30 day, day financing condition yeah. is a joke yeah. on commercial. There's and, no way you're getting a 30 yeah, day done. Not from a bank. Not right? from a bank. You can do yeah. private in a week, right? Yeah. So, hey, if that's all you want to do, yeah, just but, do a week long. Yeah. But like uh, with, with regards to that, that's, that's often the challenge too with loan to value, right? Because even if you do get the 30 days and, you know, you thought you were going to get 70%, 75% loan to value and they come back at 60%, 65%, like all of a sudden you're into it for, you know, a couple hundred thousand more, right? Important point you're bringing up with these crazy cap rates, the banks aren't going to just give you more. If, if you can't cover their debt coverage ratio, they're just going to cut back your loan to value and you have to put in more cash. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So... Uh, the days of being able to get 75%, if building owners are going to ask these ridiculous numbers, you're going to have trouble. Yeah. That's why for me, when my, my mindset is go in with the intention of of just renovating, hopefully borrow either a VTB or private money going in, get what you need, and then come back with the bank after. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to ask you how you find your deals. Could you walk us through that? 
Yeah, I um, I mean, I'm constantly working on new processes and systems to do that. But basically, you know, I'm, I'm known enough so that people will refer me, um, you know, and it's often having that good relationship with with uh, contractors, other people that are out there, you know, who's who, you know, what what they can what you can do to help them to do what they need to do. And then, you know, they can help you. Right. So sometimes it's, you know, maybe an electrician could be like a plumber could be someone like that. And do you ask them, you put out some feelers, say, Hey guys, I'm looking for this. Can you keep an eye? Yeah. Especially if you've been working with them for a while, you want to make sure that you let people know, Hey, look, and if you do, if I do close on the property, I'm happy to throw you like a, you know, $500 $500 or $1,000, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you just want to make sure that you're, pe- people know that you're trying to buy properties, right? And yeah. um, you know, it's, it's getting yourself out there. It's the same with, you know, partnering. Like if you don't, if people don't know that you're, <laughs> if you want, if you're available yeah. for, uh, to do a partnership, then like, you, you know, because yeah. you're not telling them, right? Oh, yeah. And so it's the same thing with leads and lead generation, right? It's about getting out there. It's about not doing the same thing as everybody else, right? If you're if you're waiting on the MLS to get a deal, you're going to be like, um, you know, competing with a whole bunch of other people who are trying to do the same thing, right? And, and you're all rushing out to get to the house at the same time, and you want to be the first person, especially when oh, you yeah. get into the market that we're in now, which is very much. This is um, February, end of February. 2020 it very much feels like the beginning of 2017 where we have that lack of supply multiple offers you're getting like 20 offers on properties and and then you got to be careful if you're the winner of a 20 multiple offer you know isn't really a winner (laughs) like you got to be careful right so and it's understanding your numbers and making sure it works and that you can function and hold that asset over the long term right yeah, I don't get very excited for the big bidding wars and the on-market stuff. It's not that you can't find a great deal on market because you can. It's just there's always going to be that uh, that person that's willing to pay too much. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it's it's really a time versus uh, money scenario, right? So if you're willing to put more time into it, um, you know, and be able to to um, to put more effort into it, um, uh, even more money into the process of finding it, you're more likely to find something offline. But yeah. if you want to save the money and save your yeah. time, just go on the MLS. But you're not going to get the same value no. proposition. So, yeah. and that's that's always how it's been, right? When it, when it comes to deals and it comes to uh, finding properties that make sense. So do you have a daily... Um like procedure that you do to reach out to people and, and, you know, something that you've built into your systems that helps generate those leads. Yeah. I've, I've had a lot of, um, coaching myself as well as doing coaching, but I, I've had a lot of coaching and I do a weekly plan, um, okay. where I, and I actually have a structured plan that I do with the items that I'm working on this week, um, uh, finding funding and financing properties each week. I, I have a, a, a structured program that I, uh, I actually put together in my, my, I have all my coaching clients do the same thing. And basically it's just going through, you know, what am I doing this week for each of those things? Because if you're not, you're going to end up with one of those roadblocks. All real yeah. estate investors end up in the same thing. Either they're not finding deals, yeah. they're not finding funding for deals, or they're not able to finance a deal. It happens to everybody one time or the, another. So it's important to do that every week. So yes, I'm, I'm definitely doing that every week and I have a structure uh, to what I do. And um, it comes from experience and a lot of different 
programs. I, I mean, I think I spent $20,000 this year just on different types of professional development and, and learning and personal development and kind of, you know, I, I yeah. read probably three to five books a month, right? Okay. And, I, and I listen to uh, Audible. I've got a like yeah. a large Audible library Same. as well, right? So, you know, it's always, it's always continuing yeah. to learn and grow. But from a lead generation perspective, it really is, you know, doing a lot of different things, not just doing one thing, right? I'm not a realtor and I'm not a, a mortgage broker. I'm not a property manager in that I, I, I don't manage properties for other people. But what I am is a connector. Right. And, and that's, uh, I would say is you know, one of my, my great abilities is to connect with and two different people and, you know, reaching out and, you know, I'm sure if you ask people, you know, my name, they'll probably know oh, yeah. it in the, in the industry, if not between one and three people, right? Because yeah. it's just being a connector and being out there and, and, and trying to help people, right? I, and I don't pretend to know everything. You know, I'm, I'm still learning, you know, it's all part of what I do. Uh, but I, all, all I do is I, if I tell you something, then I do it, right? I do what I say. That's all. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So you've, uh, you've kind of given us a little bit of a, a taste of how you're, you're finding your deals. Right. Um, we've talked about how you're financing. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what the, the next logical step in the discussion <laughs> is here. Um, actually, you know what, uh, one of the things that I'm curious about is, is your ability to delegate, uh, you talked about the mindset of people who think results versus the people who think, you know, dollars per hour. Right. Um, how do you find people you can delegate to? Cause you said you've in-housed your management. Right. Um, I run, I have my own company and I do delegate and I, I, you know, even with stuff like this podcast, it's, um, there's always management that comes into delegating work to people. And I'm wondering how you, uh, manage it and how you find good people and, and how that works for you. So part of my weekly framework is actually, I have a three D's in the f- framework, do delegate and dump. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I, I'm constantly working on my processes and systems. So, you know, have a focus that, that this day I'm working on process and systems. And so that I can delegate that to somebody else or take that process off, off the, off my plate. And, um, it's about continually working on that and having different people to do different things, whether it's somebody who can drive and pick something up or drive and look at properties for you or it's a va who can handle the incoming utilities or it's an assistant that can help you with you know the the more day-to-day administrative components of it so it's having all the the different people who are part of you know your team to get them to to do maybe it's the uh, showing of properties maybe it's the tenant placement maybe it's um like a handyman you know all of those people are all part of it and it's making sure that you just create a process and a system to be able to help them to do that and then um and then that way you have a way to check on it right because you have that that process and system in place right and then it's and for you then it's it may not be you following up on that process and system it may be somebody else on your team that's doing that but you're giving that responsibility to to somebody else and so you need to you're hold they're you're holding them accountable Mm -hmm for this particular task yeah. and they're reporting back to you. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's that delegation and, yeah. and, um, but including that in your weekly, you know, your weekly plan or your quarterly plan. Right. Including like next steps with that or how I can further delegate. Yeah. Like making sure that you're working on the uh, processes and systems in your business, especially the things that you don't like doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
what was it that so one of the things that we had recently in a conversation with a coaching client was he wasn't happy with how he was he was doing all the incoming call management for repairs right for his business so what we what we worked on was okay well what are the things you don't like this so how can we set up a process and a system to yeah. deal with it? So, you know, he created a matrix of, uh, these are my, the trades. I have two or three trades for every, um, particular problem. These are the most common problems that I have. And then we have, uh, we have a VA that's going to handle all the calls that come in right. that are, and then assign them directly. And then we have a, a, a template, like a, a property management type software, like project management software, actually that helps to, to okay this has been assigned to this person and it's already been done right okay. and the accountability piece is being able to look at the project management software and see that it's been assigned yeah right and so it's it's those pieces creating those those yeah. pieces that help the you systems. do right and mo yeah. most people are always stuck kind of doing everything oh, yeah. and not taking the time to work on the bigger picture kind of pieces and so when when you do that and you make it part of your weekly mm -hmm. you know tasks then that's where yeah to work on your businesses and your tasks yeah, it's, yeah. rather than it's, work in your business yeah it's kind of cliche yeah. i know we hear it all the time but it's very true like, oh, totally yeah it's very true if we don't do yeah. this then you know all we're going to end up yeah. we can you know we can keep busy because we have the time and you know it'll just it'll just envelop you right that's the, the funny thing like you you take on more and you think it's okay and then all, all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of things that come with it and that's kind of what i've experienced you know i want want to be able to say yes to all these things uh, but then that makes me put a microscope on everything else i got going on and how i can systemize it so that i'm not involved and with with my property management in-housing specifically, like all of my utilities are all just auto withdrawal. So I just, I just look at them, you know, when I'm doing my taxes pretty much, or if I see a really astronomical number in my email notification, uh, things like plumbing and heating and all that stuff. Like I just send my tenants like uh, an, an entry email that says, here's procedures for the house. If you got a problem with that, here's who you call. And they actually have a number and they call my plumbing and heating company directly. And I just get billed. So things like that actually help me, you know, their emergency, they'll do middle of the night. I don't get a call. You I'm like, you got a pipe burst. You don't call me. You call the plumbing and heating company. And, uh, because what am I going to do? I'm an hour and a half from my properties. So, uh, there's nothing I'm going to do in the middle of the night that they can't do by just calling the, the company. So I've created some systems that, that really help, but there's definitely more that need to, uh, happen and particularly stuff that has sensitive information, password protected things. I've had a stranglehold on, Right. <laughs> which uh that's that's probably been my biggest challenge to uh to re relinquish some of that maybe you need somebody more local who's like beside you who can take on some of those roles yeah where i can keep a close eye and 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 you know and then relinquish some of that you know it, it's um it, you know it's it's trust but it's also like trust but verify right yeah, tr trusted and verified <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean like if you if you take what you're doing this week for example mm -hmm. and you just write a list of the things that you you're not really crazy about doing yeah. and, and let's say you end up with a list of five yeah. if you just spent you know like two or three hours working on one of those five yeah. you know what would your next week be like Right. Okay. And I mean, you you would have allevi alleviated twenty percent of the things that 
that were bothering <laughs> that me were bothering you okay so if it's on my list i really don't like it i started doing that today i had a couple of things that just been lingering there i'm like this is just a pain in the butt uh finally got to it so yeah today's kind of been that day for me actually up to this point you you arrived at a 11 30 a.m so i had a productive morning i suppose oh good yeah but uh, anyways, I don't I don't want to drag this on uh, too much past an hour because I know we could talk quite a bit. Oh, it's been an hour already? <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> I know. I make it fly by, don't I? Yeah. Um, no, I really I think you did. Uh, you, you're uh, you're very articulate and you you uh, you know, you, you provided a ton of value here. So everyone listening, definitely give this one another listen. Uh, Quentin said tons of stuff that uh, that will definitely help you in your business. Quentin, where should people reach out to you or how should they find out more about you? Yeah, so if you visit durhamrei.ca, there are uh, some of the I've I've got some other tools on there for I've got a um, um, you know a property checklist that you can use to to find uh, deals like what is a real deal and they can kind of check that out. Um, also information about um, you know. Um, uh, tenants and how you can do some tenant management. So there's a few tools on the Durham REI website for them to take a look at. And the blog has some articles. Oh, yeah. If you're interested in my thinking, yeah, you can, more content. Yeah, there's more content on there on the, that website as well. I've got some good graphics that I help to, you know, take people down a, yeah. you know, a path of, of learning. <laughs> yeah. And I know we didn't dig into Durham REI, but, uh, that's your educational, uh, meetup that you, you host. Yeah. It's how I give back, right? It's really the, like, um, me organizing a community of people who are very active investors. Like we have a real active community of people. Actually, I would stop doing it if I didn't have people who had more than like, I've got some people in there that have over a hundred properties themselves. And, awesome. and if I didn't have those people in that group, I probably wouldn't continue to run it because i like i get inspired by listening to them too and it's important for me right i mean i go to different places to get inspired to across the country but you know i also want to have i want to have a group of active people who are doing things and not just talking about it so that's what it's all about i actually got that from you i kind of implemented that at my meetup i'm like if you're not going to do stuff get out of here get out of here not said in those words i I say that yeah (laughs) but you know we got people who come and and it's great because you hear that oh we're thinking about doing a deal or we were on the fence about it and uh you know next meeting they've done one oh, and, good. That's uh, it's really, it's really good. nice to hear that um ours is is uh we don't do the education piece I, I consider the podcast the education piece and then the meetup is is just the talking networking uh which i really enjoy it gives me a chance to like just talk to so many people it's really yeah. po- i mean it's very popular like people would really want to come out to just meet other people and, and yeah and people learn who are what doing, doing it right yeah because think about how many people like how what one percent of our population are real estate investors probably yeah like it's very small well, in the grand scheme things small, maybe a couple but, but percent, in my yeah. circles everyone's talking about real estate all the time and it you know it, it almost feels weird when you find people who aren't investors sometimes yeah but uh you know that's why when i go out to parties with people who aren't real estate investors the conversation just ends up being about real estate anyway <laughs> unless they're really not into it and then we don't have much to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah you gotta be at the right parties i guess yeah yeah fair enough okay well um so you mentioned you go to belize i know you were you're just coming back there from yeah there, right? well i was in Kelowna a week ago i was meeting with um some really great uh, real estate investors from across Canada through a group, um, uh, the entrepreneur organization that I'm part of. And then, um, 
the week before that I was in Belize with uh, on a we're looking at some properties out there and having some fun and just uh, boat rides and like sushi on the beach it was really cool that sounds fantastic yeah, yeah I when I went to Costa Rica I'm like I need to find a way to own some property here <laughs> give me a reason to come down yeah no yeah. I've, I've got property in uh, in Florida so I okay. uh, yeah we've got a few few uh, units and uh, properties down there and it's a hedge against the canadian economy and you know u.s dollars coming in and you know it's a it's a a way for me to one of the four horsemen to head against (laughs) Uh, makes sense yeah you want to diversify so quentin i absolutely appreciated this it was uh, it was really fun and uh, i'm sure our our listeners and viewers are going to get a lot of value out of it all right thank you thanks Thanks for for coming thanks for hosting me yeah anytime Thanks for watching today's episode. Just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell. Uh, and also leave a comment. And hey, while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help? It helps this podcast grow and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.